Welcome to the Florence Guild podcast, a collection of conversations with business and cultural leaders delivering insight into future approaches to business and life. Through conversations in an array of styles, from salon talks to lifestyle events, through to intimate facilitated lunches and dinners, Florence Guild promotes encounters, satiates curiosity, and allows insight into future approaches to business and life. The following Florence Guild conversation was recorded live at Work Club Sydney, Australia's most forward-thinking workspace. This episode's conversation is about Australia's booming edtech industry and how it is taking over the world. Technology is disrupting and enhancing the education industry at a very rapid pace. So what are the future trends in education? Let's ask Riley Batchelor, serial tech entrepreneur, investor and startup advisor. He is currently CEO of EduGrowth, Australia's edtech acceleration network. Riley has founded five technology startups over the last 13 years and was a local partner of General Assembly Asia Pacific. The Future of Education, a Florence Guild conversation with Riley Batchelor. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming along. I'm, I'm Riley Batchelor. Um, here to talk to you tonight about the future of education. And I normally do talks like this with some slides and some sort of speaking notes in the back. So let's just see how this goes. I'm going to need your interactivity to ask a few questions as I go along. And I'm not being rude looking at Facebook on my phone. I'm, I'm actually reading some, um, some notes. It's become quite a hazard, hasn't it? I was working up here from, um, from Piedmont to get here. And I'm like dodging people looking at their phone as they're walking along. So these things are evil, but they're actually going to be a big part of the future of education as well. So um, it's such a huge topic. I don't know how I'm going to tackle this. I'm going to try and break it down into a few bits and pieces and talk about the things that... I know the most about, or I know a little about. I don't know who would, in the world would be qualified to give a completely comprehensive talk about the future of education, but I'm going to, um, I'm going to give it a shot. And like I said, I'm going, to, I'm going to break it down into pieces. But what would be really helpful would be to know a little bit about you guys and um, see what parts of the industry you're from. So is there any educators here, teachers, university folk? OK, cool. You guys are the real experts. Um, entrepreneurs, founders? Cool. Feels like it was most of it. And everything else in between, just interested in education? Cool. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I'll, I'll definitely have some time for questions at the end, right? I'm going to talk to you for about 10, 15, 20 minutes maybe, and then I'd love to just spend a lot of time answering your questions to see the parts of the industry that, um, that you're most interested in. I thought I'd... Um, to give a bit of background, just talk a little bit about myself and, and where I come from and how I ended up in education. So I, um, I came from a, quite an entrepreneurial family. I had two parents that were small business owners. I was um, doing slave labour in the, in the family business from the age of, I don't know how old I was, probably six or seven. And um, I didn't know it at the time, um, going all the way through from when I was young and then um, to, to when I sort of left school, I was uh, on the board of the family company doing the books, old school style, flicking through checkbook um, butts and, and entering them into Quicken or MYAB or whatever it was. So I didn't know it at the time, but that was my, um, that was probably the most important education that I've ever had, it was my education to become an entrepreneur. 
And um, there was lots of little lessons, and, and I remember some of them and, and, and not all of them. But one of the good ones was, I think my first sort of entrepreneurial venture was my dad gave me a bucket and a sponge and a, some dishwashing liquid and said, get the fuck out of the house, go play with traffic and wash some cars. So myself and my brother and one other entrepreneurial kid in the street, we'd um, walk around and just knock on doors and, and wash cars for like five bucks or, or 10 bucks at a, at a time. We did a horrible job. I remember on many instances, my dad would have to come along after us and apologize to the owner of the car and, and, and fix it up and so on. So um, I'm a huge believer in informal education and I'll certainly talk a lot about non-accredited education tonight, but education is this huge big beast and we're always learning, sometimes in an official sense, most of the time and not in a classroom in a non-official sense. So. That was a really important uh, a part of, um, of my upbringing. Um, because I came from this entrepreneurial family, I went, to, I went to college, I did a business degree, was there a little bit, didn't, didn't pay much attention. Did a job for about six months and then thought, oh, okay, this is horrible, I have to be an entrepreneur because that's what everyone does. When did my first business that was in the hospitality industry and in the restaurant um, business and um, worked 16 hours a day, seven days a week, hated it. Fumbled around for a little while, found, um, um, started a technology startup in 2003, 2004, and that was my sort of in to the industry, and I've been in it ever since. I did some stuff in the fashion space, in e-commerce, and in marketplaces, and a whole bunch of stuff, and then it was all great, but um, fell into education through a company called General Assembly. It was at the, so it's here in Australia now, but at the time it was a, um, a venture-backed um, US education company that teach, teaches people uh, key technical skills, so web development, UX design, digital marketing, and so on. And I saw it, and I thought, this is amazing, got to bring this to Australia. Um, somehow convinced the, the founders over there to, to bring it over to Australia, and, and we set it up here in, in Sydney, just down the road, um, and expanded it to Melbourne, and, and then through Asia, and Singapore, and, and Hong Kong. So I was a tech person that fell into education, knew nothing about education, at least for the first two or three years of my time at General Assembly as well. Um, and then the two started to merge together and, and that's where my sort of, uh, most of my experience lies now in the, the intersection of um, technology and education. So now I work, I work for um, this company called EduGrowth, it's a not-for-profit organisation and our aim is to drive more technology and innovation into the education industry. So all sectors of the industry, all the way from early childhood um, through to continuous lifelong corporate learning at the end. We have a number of amazing partners, some founding partners in the, in the higher ed space. The schools as part of our network, teachers, startups are really a collaborative network that's about driving more technology and innovation into the education ecosystem. We do it through a number of programs and events and I do talks like this. We have an online platform that's free to join if you're interested. Our MVP is a, is a Slack channel. Um, so yeah, that, that's really me. So my perspective I'm wanting to talk about tonight is definitely from a technology perspective um, and probably more from a higher education perspective as well because that's the piece that I know best. So I'm not an educator to the teachers and educators in the room. I'm not coming from that perspective. I know a bit about the space, but I'm not going to try and um, tell you about the future of, of being an educator in, in, the, in this industry. So. Um, I wanted to perhaps sort of start by setting the scene and as Cami said in the introduction, um, we talked about disruption and you hear a lot about that in industries, you probably hear most about fintech and disruption in that ecosystem. It's the biggest vertical for startups here in Sydney and Australia. Um, but it's definitely 
there's a huge amount of disruption or change that's coming into the education industry as well. It's not as fast and as obvious as what you see perhaps in the, in the fintech space, but there is a huge amount of change that is coming into the space and it's changing but at a slower pace as well. And I think it's taken a while for this change to start happening in the industry because of the huge amount of complexity in the education industry, huge amount of regulation, so many stakeholders involved. There's a really complex industry. Like starting an ed tech startup is really fucking difficult, um, especially if you're selling to schools or universities and you're trying to scale that way. So it's there. It's happening. You'll hear more and more about it. In Australia, we have about 350 ed tech companies, uh, majority here in Sydney. We just um, completed the Australian ed tech census project and we'll release the data over the next couple of weeks so you can, you can dig into it and have a little bit more of a, bit more of a look. And most of those companies are focused on the K-12 space, probably 60%. The remainder is in university, higher education, some in language learning, some in, um, in early childhood as well. Um, it's a, um, in Australia, we have an amazing platform for Australia to become one of the top three to five ed tech hubs globally. We have a huge education industry. I'm sure most of the folks in the room know this, but education is our largest service export industry to the tune of about $21 billion a year. At any one time, there's about 500 to 600,000 international students in the, in the country. So it's big dollars, it's big business, it's our biggest export beyond the mm -hmm. stuff that we rip out of the ground. Um, so there's, a, there's an amazing platform. We have, we have some high quality, um, well-established universities in Australia, 43 of them to be precise relatively good school system. We have some fantastic foundations for, um, um, for the country to, to make the most of, of what's happening in the, in the disruption in this space. There's also a huge amount that's changing from a consumer demand perspective at all ends of the spectrum. Parents want change in the K-12 space for their schools because these classroom models have been the same for what, hundreds of years. Um, the millennial generation that's graduating from school and going to university or not going to university, they want shit now and they want it on their phone and they want it fast and they want it exactly how they want it. Um, they're definitely driving a huge amount of change. And there's also, the, at the other end of the spectrum, there's the more mature audiences or even the baby boomer market, if you will, with everything that's happening in the changing uh, dynamics of the workforce and automation, there's going to be a huge amount of retraining that needs to happen over the next sort of 5, 10, 20 years. So there's a, there's a huge amount of consumer de demand that's, that's pushing all of this change as well. Um, tech is obviously is, is, is driving a lot of this change. So the ed tech industry as a whole is forecast to be about $252 billion size of the global industry by 2020. So it's a huge industry. I don't know how that compares to fintech and other industries, but it feels like it's a pretty big number and it's, um, it definitely warrants a serious amount of attention. Um, some of the others are just trying to sort of set the scene of what's happening in the education space and then get more specific. Um, via the internet, content, content is now generally widely available and mostly free. So if you're a university or a teacher, you're teaching stuff that people can find elsewhere put it in a university or classroom environment, it's obviously in a structured format, but uh, universities in the higher education space are perhaps losing some of the competitive edge that they had had around the owners of that content. There's a huge amount of content that's, that's out there and generally free for everyone. 
Some of the, um, from, a, from a technology perspective, um, some of the newer technologies that are coming through that can be applied to education are most of the new technologies that are coming through. These are sort of the emerging stuff that, that's happening, but that we're seeing um, a lot of new startups using new technologies like uh, virtual reality and augmented reality from an uh, education perspective. So from a virtual reality um, side of things, you can obviously think of the um, practical applications of that in a classroom environment, specifically in a training environment. If you're teaching nurses and you want to get them inside an actual theatre or a hospital and put them in that environment so they can get that practical experience, there's a huge amount that can be done with that technology. Um, AI, data, you know, it's a bit of a buzzword at the moment, but there's a huge amount that's happening in that space as well in the personalised learning space, which is a big trend in, um, in the future of education, I think. Um, instead of a one-to-many approach, one teacher in a large classroom of people that all learn at a different place and they come from a different point and want to end up at a different point, um, it's terribly inefficient and not that effective. So using data to create an individual map for learners to make their way through their learning experience is definitely something that we'll see a lot of in the, um, in the coming years. Um, starting to hear about newer technologies like, like blockchain being used from a credentialing perspective. So generally universities or, or schools are the owners of a credential. Um, and it sits with that university, you might have an actual piece of paper or certificate. People are dipping in and out and they're learning lots of different things from lots of different providers and, and there isn't yet, I know there's a lot of people working on this particular problem, there isn't yet a way to bring one person's credentials all together in one place and have that as something that they can move around and take with them and obviously not fake those credentials so there needs to be a certain amount of security and technology around it. So there's more and more that's happening in that space. Um, there's in the online learning space and again in the higher ed space there is a lot that's happening in what you could probably call the MOOC 2.0 space. So if you're all familiar with MOOCs, um, I think the way that they started out or the 1.0 was okay let's put a camera in an existing classroom, let's take a video of a teacher teaching that particular class that they're already teaching, let's take that video content and put it online and people can move through it as they go. Um, and that's really just taking an offline learning environment and trying to stuff it into a digital, um, uh, digital application, right? The, I think that what we're seeing more and more of is people thinking about online learning from a pure digital perspective, trying to replicate the stuff that happens in, a, in an offline learning experience, that interaction that you have with other students, the ability to chat to each other, the ability to interact with, with a teacher in real time, group work, project-based work, working together. There's a lot of new technology that, that's happening in that space to try to um, move that online learning space to something that's more dynamic and designed for a, a digital and online environment. Um, I might now jump to something else if I can. Um, I was asked to do a talk um, not that long ago about the future of education as well. So. Um, it's quite obvious, but I'm going to recycle a little bit of that to, um, to give to you tonight. But it also covers off all the particular things that, um, that I think are going to happen in the higher education space. So um, in, in doing that particular speech, I posed myself the question of what, <clears throat> of what higher education will look like 
in 2025, and that's not too far away, right? It seems like it's it seems like there's, there's there's a ways to go. But in the education space, that's not too far. That's a pretty short period of time. So I'll take you through how I approach that particular um, perspective, and and I'd love to debate any of these particular points with you when we get to the um, when we get to the questions. So. You can close your eyes and imagine 2025. There'll be flying cars and automated vehicles and all that sort of stuff. You don't actually have to close your eyes. I don't think any of you did it. I'm not very convincing. Um, but so universities are still here. They're doing well. Um, they didn't all disappear and get swallowed swallowed by MOOCs, but some of them, but several of them retired from service in the early 2020s. The unaccredited space has boomed over the last eight years, driven by major changes in regulation that opened up the market for the delivery of higher education qualifications um, and funding changes that recognise the importance of unaccredited learning in building Australia's economic future. Unaccredited learning now takes up 50% of total tertiary education spending. However, that market share didn't come from the traditional universities and colleges necessarily. It came from the huge growth of lifelong learning and retraining of, a, of an older audience driven by the automation revolution of 2020. Higher education courses across the spectrum are shorter. Students take them as they need them, not in long four-year chunks at the start of their career, all in one go. Um, in the future, they call students populi, not alumni, which signifies them lifelong learning approach. Um, courses are cheaper. Hex debt has, has finally reduced and the student loan crisis in the US has become manageable. The courses that, that are taught teach a, a combination of theory, hard skills that industry are seeking, and soft skills like communication, group work, presentation, leadership, critical thinking, all that extremely important stuff. The creation of degree content is largely done in collaboration and partnership with industry, with the employers that are employing the graduates that are coming out of these, coming out of these courses. Courses are online. Um, highly practical and project-based. Project -based. University campus and campuses are now mostly um, been turned into apartment blocks. Apologise to any of the university folk in the room for that one. Um, student populations are global. It's no longer domestic versus international students and students travelling around the world to get a quality education. They do it where they are. Um, it's a mix of global students. They're mobile. They travel the world as digital nomads. They freelance, they work online, they study online, <clears throat> and the traditional gap year and study process seem to have merged together. New technology allows students to learn virtually, not just from a uh, teacher or lecturer, but from each other. Um, and the social and peer learning that happens on campus today has been replicated in an online campus. The desire for students to become entrepreneurs and for employers wanting to hire entrepreneurs um, that started popping up around 2016 has taken off and 50% of students in Australian unis have aspirations to be the next Simon Webster. You don't know who Simon is yet. Um, he's the founder of LearnBook, the $100 billion Australian edtech startup powerhouse labelled the Uber of Education by Time magazine in 2023. Um, and that's it. That's kind of my perspective on the, on the higher education space and how it might change. I'll probably be way off the um, way off the game, but um, that's the that's the um, perspective uh, for now. So I think I might leave it at that and, and kind of jump into 
to some questions. I'm definitely happy to talk about the um, K-12 space as well. Um, and probably one of the other, just a couple of examples before I do that actually. Um, I'm really passionate about seeing new models that are coming through into the market. So it's not when we talk about the edtech industry and this disruption, it's not purely just about technology that's changing or moving tech, uh, offline learning to online learning. There's a lot of new business models that are coming through as well. So the company that I worked for before that I mentioned, General Assembly, um, their business model is shorter courses. So instead of taking a four-year computer science degree, not that there's anything wrong with that, by the way, um, take a three-month course and go from whatever you did before, doesn't matter if it was development-related or not, um, pay $12,000, take a three-month course and skill yourself up in that particular area and then move on and get a job straight afterwards. And it works. I don't know what the statistics are today, but when I was there, 98% um, of graduates, no matter what their background, got a job in 90 days. It was generally a higher paying job and moving into a career that was something new for them and I think hopefully more enjoyable than what they were doing before. Um, other interesting models to look at, I'm not sure if anyone has heard of a company called Minerva or the Minerva Project over in the US. Um, they're on a mission to change higher education as well. It's a four-year degree. It's in the US. It's not in Australia yet. Four-year um, degree. Students learn purely online, uh, so there's no actual campus. But it's four years, and I think for each year, they travel to a dif uh, different international location. So it's the sort of hot spots around the world, San Fran, London, mm. whatever it might be. And they stay on campus together, and they live together, but they learn online and they built a fully bespoke custom LMS system um, that's powered around their idea of fully active learning. So not just sitting there listening to someone talk like you guys are unfortunately doing with me right now, but fully actively involved in that process through questions and interactivity and chat and, and, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Really interesting one to, to look at if you're interested in that space. There's a new one called Mission New that's just launched over in the US as well. It's a one year undergraduate degree in the non-accredited space. You don't pay any fees until you get a job. It sounds familiar to Australians, it's called HEX, but to the Americans it's like a revolution, I think. Um, but it's not government funded. So when you start earning $50,000 a year, you start paying back the fees of the particular course. And again, it's short, there's tech skills, the new skills that people need to, to progress their career. Um, in the, uh, the uh, K-12 space, there's um, models, there's one called High Tech High, Again, as the name suggests, it's focused on that, on that um, tech space. There's another one called Alt School. A whole bunch of other examples that I can, I can share with you as well. But I'd encourage you, if you are interested in this particular space, look at it from the lens of the technology side of things, but also the business model side of things, and the merging of those two particular areas. Um, so I might leave it at that. Thank you. Explore the Florence Guild podcast with the best talent from Australia and across the world. You can subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes. For more information on Florence Guild, visit florenceguild.com.